Hello, my name is Steph. I'm one of the pastors here at Revelation Church, and I'm going to be speaking from the book of Ephesians today um, in the New Testament. We're just about five, four or five weeks into a series on the book of Ephesians, and um, we're not rushing. We're going through it nice and slowly because it's very densely packed. There's a lot in there. Um, it was written by um, someone that we call the Apostle Paul, and he, his style of writing was very, very dense. He would fit a lot into one sentence, so we've decided to, to make sure that we sort of respect his style of writing and give, give time to single sentences and the like. So, um, <clears throat> so we're going to be looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, continuing on this, um, uh, this hugely long sentence in our Bible. It looks like a few sentences, but in the original Greek, it's one long sentence from verse 3 to 14. And we're going to be doing the last chunk of that, day, which is verse 11 to 14. Um, so, just rather than reading the whole slot again, I want to just pull out this one phrase, in Christ, and just help us understand that before I uh, read the passage. In Christ, or in Him, that comes up a lot in this passage. And um, it's really important you understand it, because it's, it's like a central Christian theme, to be in Christ. Um, because it's really helpful, even as a, as a picture, because I think sometimes people can view Christianity as like a, a set of beliefs, a belief system, which it most definitely contains. There, are, there, are, there is a message with things in it to believe, absolutely. But actually, all those, the things that Christians believe all centre on a person. They centre on someone. And so fundamentally, more than anything else, the way of describing what it is to be a Christian is to be in Christ. It means that, um, so different ways of describing that could be that you have been, you've been joined to him by faith. So the moment where you believed in him, you were joined with him through faith. Now, faith is a really important word to look at for a moment, because I, I think... Um, we use words like faith and belief to mean sometimes different things than what the Bible does. So uh, oftentimes people think that to be a Christian you have to believe certain things about Jesus. And if you believe certain things about him, if you believe that he really existed, if you believe he died on a cross um, for your sins, if you believe that he, he rose again, if you believe those facts, that that in and of itself will save you. Whereas actually, biblical faith and belief is, 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 does involve that, but it involves more than that. James, in his book, he says, you know, even the demons believe there's just one God. So to believe that there's one, so even the demons believe there's one God and they shudder. It doesn't lead them to faith, it leads them to fear. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means that you entrust yourself to him entirely. Trust is maybe a more helpful word. Um... So it's not just that you believe he did these things for you, but then you say, as a result of me believing that, Jesus, you are the saviour, Jesus, you died on a cross for my sin, you rose again and you've beaten death, you're alive forevermore, that you love me, you care about me, um, that you do want to know me, that you do want to forgive me, and you can, because of the cross, in light of all of these things, I am going to entrust my whole being to you, my past, my present, my future. It's in that moment that you believe in Jesus. And in that moment, you come alive. In, in, in that moment, it's like you, you meet him in that place of trust. And you suddenly know, I'm changed, I'm different. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, something's happened in me. The Bible calls it being born again. So there's this, there, it's really important we understand this, otherwise we can end up with uh, something superficial. Something that doesn't actually hit, hit us in our depths. And so we make some kind of commitment of some sort to believe in some things about Jesus. 
But it, it, it's never a heart entrustment. It's never like a full, uh, full-bodied giving of yourself to him. And then you can live in a strange limbo of thinking, I thought I became a Christian, but it doesn't really feel any different. So I'm not saying everyone's conversion has to be massively dramatic, not at all. But there's something where you trust him. So being united by faith. Um, other ideas are, the Bible says that you're hidden in him. And perhaps the best way to understand that is from the story of Noah and, and the ark. That Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives went into the, the, the ark that he had built during, uh, during this, flood, this flood of judgment that came. And so we see the storms of judgment beating against the ark. But because they're hidden in the ark, judgment doesn't touch them. It's a really, really helpful picture to understand part of what it means to be hidden in Christ. That the storms of judgment that most certainly will come will not hit us. Because Jesus said, if anyone trusts in me, he's come out of judgment and into life. It's deep stuff. Really powerful um, images. It means to be under his headship. Under his leadership instead of under Adam. The Bible says all people are either under Adam or under Jesus. There's two humanities. And it's not about male and female. It's not about black and white. It's not about any of those. It doesn't, it comes under Adam and Jesus. Jesus came to start a new humanity to draw people in under his headship, under his lordship. And the Bible says that under Adam there's disobedience, under Adam there's guilt, there's death. Under Jesus there's obedience, there's righteousness, there's life. And so if you're in Christ, you're under a new head. You can't be um, autonomous in that sense. The Bible doesn't understand people in that way. God doesn't understand people in that way. You're either in Adam, you were all born in Adam, all of us, or you are born again in to Christ. These are some of the ideas the New Testament gives us so we understand. When Paul keeps saying, in him, in him, this is what he's getting at. And it's really important that we understand in him and don't just understand God's grace because actually if we just go for God's God's really gracious, really kind, but we forget in him then we can, we can lose the sense of what it cost God to draw us into his kindness, that it cost him his one and only son. He gave him up for us so he could draw us in, and we lose the sense of what it cost, we lose the sense of seriousness, we lose the sense of, wow, oh my goodness, God gave up his only son so that I could be forgiven and made new. So all these ideas are, are held together in this idea, in him. Paul said in him, we're chosen, we're adopted, we've been forgiven, we've been redeemed. All the things we've looked at these last few weeks. So now we're on to verse 11 of chapter 1 and it starts with, in him. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Father, thank you for these words, so rich, so much in there. I do pray, Lord, even for those who feel like they've maybe heard this passage preached on tens of times, and they're thinking, I know what he's going to say, and they may well do. They may well do. I pray for the work of the Holy Spirit to, to make it seem like they've never heard it before. I, cannot, I cannot do that, Lord. But I do believe you can. I believe it's like you can open a window and, and the fresh air comes in and it's like, oh my goodness. And I pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation, please rest on us, Lord, that we wouldn't be complacent, that we wouldn't be 
passive, but that we would be hungry for your word. Help those who listen, Lord, to hunger for you. To hunger for you and what you're saying. And and help me, Lord, with this passage to just articulate it in a way that honours you and, and is truthful to the passage, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, now, um, just to say, this is probably one of the hardest passages in the book. You wouldn't necessarily know it reading it, but actually there's a fair little bit of confusion about the passage, so I'm going to just try and show you why people get confused about it. So if you've got a Bible with you, open it up. I'm really sorry about no Bible on the screen. So is there a Bible on the, on the hard drive? No, it's my bad. We've come straight from our Gospel Community Weekend away, so certain details I've not been able to prepare, things like a PowerPoint. But just bear with me anyway. If you sit next to someone with a Bible, share it. Because we want you to be able to actually just look at this. You've got your phone or um, iPad or a hard copy. If you could all just get it out. Because so, there's, there's two things that I want to draw your attention to that will just help us, help you understand. And actually draws out the real richness of the passage. It, it, you really get the, the full, uh, you know... Um, the full marrow of the thing if you, if you get into this. So, is everyone, can anyone roughly almost see a Bible? Anyone not? Okay, right, here we go. So, we've got this phrase here, in him we have obtained an inheritance, and then if you go down to verse 14, we come across it again, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So, what, what, at face value, what this passage seems to be saying is this, that among all these other blessings we've read about, being chosen, being adopted, being forgiven, being redeemed, not only this, but also in him, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, inheritance was a huge deal in this time of the world and in this culture. To be a son was to be an heir. You, you wouldn't separate the two. That you wouldn't have a, and actually, it's not just that you wouldn't separate it. Being an heir would be forefront in your mind. So, for example, when Paul in his letter to the Corinthians talks about being married or being unmarried, and when he, when he says, listen, it's okay to be unmarried, actually, for those Christians that embrace that call to an unmarried life, the biggest deal for them wouldn't have been no sex. The biggest deal for them would have been no heir. That would have been like the big cost. Like, are you serious? I'll have no one to carry on my name. There'll be, there'll be no, one to, to, uh, no one to live for in that sense. Because I think we often uh, think quite single generationally. Whereas this part of the world, even to, even to this day, would think much more multi-generational. I mean, you'd often speak to people whose parents moved over to this country from another part of the world. And they literally worked 24-7 their parents, never hardly saw one another, maybe one work nights, the other work days, or they, maybe they opened up some kind of business and it absolutely consumed them, but their whole kind of raison d'etre, their whole reason for doing that and thinking this is worth doing, was for what? Their, their children, they wanted to afford an education for them, they wanted them to be able to do well, and to them, they weren't thinking we're wasting our life, that thought would never have occurred to them, that was their life. Which is quite stark when you think, if, you think if you're a classically English person, you tend not to think like that. You tend to, you tend to think, well, yeah, of course we want to hopefully be able to sort the kids out a bit, you know, if we've got them, you know, when we're dead and gone. But let, let's make sure we get, you know, a good few holidays in first. And, you know, we just tend to think more, I guess, if I was to put it starkly, selfishly. So, being an heir was a, was a massive thing. So to become an heir with Christ is extraordinary. And the New Testament makes much of it. And so what this seems to be saying is, is that through Christ we've obtained an inheritance. Now this is true. It's probably not what Paul meant, but it's true, so I'll preach it for a minute or two. 
It's New Testament gospel doctrine. It is absolutely true. What is, what is um, Romans 8.17? says, if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. That he suffered and now reigns and we are called to the same path, suffering for him and with him, and then reigning in glory. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we will judge the world and we will judge angels. That we're, we're being, we're, our future destiny is one of incredible dignity. It says in Matthew 5 that the meek will inherit the earth. That the, it says in Psalm 2 that the fathers promised Jesus the nations of the earth. So listen, this planet has a future, an eternal future. It's important you realise that. So when it talks about a new heavens and a new earth, it probably is saying renewed. That the current age will be, um, will be destroyed by fire, the fires of judgment, but the result will be a renewed heavens and earth that will, that will continue forever. So it's important that we don't kind of get too, how can I put it, too divorced from um, the physical in our thinking about eternity. That we will reign on a new heavens and a new earth with Jesus. And, and that w- he has inherited the nations, the Father's promise, and the whole, all the nations of the earth, and that but us, seated with him, will help in that governing nations with him and for him. In Christ, all you are part of the free gift. Big deal. That's, that's, to be honest, that's one of the main motivators for um, learning in this life to steward things well, to be one of the main, one of the main ways Jesus motivates his disciples about um, living with a sense of, uh, how can I put it, an eternal perspective with what they've been given. To be faithful with what they've been given, to use what they've been given in a kingdom way, because Jesus says, if you're faithful with earthly money, you'll be, you'll, you'll be entrusted with heavenly treasures. So there's this constant motivation that you're on kind of training, I guess, we're just getting ready for the age to come. And so that motivates us in what we do with our money, what we do with our time, what we do with our uh, possessions, what we do with what we have, whether we steward it in a kingdom way, or whether we're really just thinking about ourselves and the here and now, and hoarding and the like. So um, this is a hugely important subject, and, and, um, and it is ours in Christ. Hallelujah. However, that's probably not what he's saying, because it's a very strange phrase, this one that's been um, interpreted, attained an inheritance. What the, what the phrase actually means, I'll try and get it as accurate as possible. We've had some really helpful backwards and forwards with lots of commentaries and our own live-in commentary, Dan Hayter. Um, so what this word means is this, is that we have been appointed by lot as, as, as a heritage. So that it's in the passive, it's not in the active. We've re- we've re- it's, it's that we somehow are the inheritance. What this is actually probably teaching is this, is that in Christ we have become the inheritance of God. Which then if you then go down to verse 14, when it's talking about the down payment of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, you might have a footnote in your Bible there. Anyone got a footnote there, a little number? Down the bottom you'll find that it says, or down payment, and then keep going, until we acquire possession of it, next footnote, until God redeems his possession. So, I'm, I'm gonna, I just want to help you understand that, then I'll preach it and you'll get why it's such a big deal. So it's saying, actually, this is probably isn't saying that in Christ we have an inheritance, we're going to inherit the nations, it's all true, but he's actually saying, in Christ we have become God's Heritage. Now, let me just show you a few Old Testament passages, just so you can understand that this isn't actually a brand new idea. So, uh, in Deuteronomy 32, uh, verses 8 to 9, it says this. Um, God is speaking about 
Israel, who in, in, in that age were his special people, it says this, it says, um, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Very mysterious thing, won't go into that now, but listen to the next bit. But the Lord's portion is his people. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, which is another name for Israel, Jacob, his allotted heritage, exactly the same phrase as Ephesians. His inheritance by law. Who is he drawn? Israel. And the Bible makes it clear when, when referring to, um, in the New Testament, when referring to phrases about Israel and the like, that, those, that, that those, those promises become applicable to the church. And then later on, I'll just show you one or two more, just so you can see it's not just like a one-off. If you go to Psalm 33, verse 12. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. It's really an extraordinary idea. So God is looking from this age, from the earth, for an inheritance for himself. Something that he might look forward to having, something that he might treasure, something that might be the thing that, in a sense, if you... It may be pushing it a bit too far. No, I won't say that. But so, the sense that he is deeply motivated by this moment where he will inherit a people that really love him and really want to be with him. Not just people that tick the religious boxes, but people that actually love him and want to rule with him, reign with him forever and want to be with him. This is the idea here that we're getting to. So let's just go through this passage in Ephesians. There's also one other thing which is a bit unusual about Ephesians. Now, so... From verse 3 down to verse 10, we've had lots of we's. Um, he's blessed us. He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. Um, he's blessed us in the beloved all the way through. But now look, it, it, something happens. In verse 11, it says, in him, we... So at this point, he's still talking about everyone. It's a universal, it's a universal we. Okay? So if I said, aren't we having a nice day today? Who am I talking about? Yeah, all of us. Now, uh, maybe, uh, Adrian, if you just come and stand next to me for a minute. It's okay. Just quick, I'm just trying to demonstrate something. Okay, and then, um, maybe, Johanna, are you happy to just stand, maybe just there, over that side? Okay. Right, so, you, you now you are spectating you know, on something. So, I'm here with Adrian and Johanna's there. Um, aren't, aren't we having a good day? <laughs> Yeah, we are. We're having a good day. Now, who am I talking about there? Right, so suddenly there's, there's a situation with the conversation. It's still we, but it's being used in a way that's not universal. Someone else is around in it, but actually in that particular conversation they weren't being referred to. That's brilliant, thank you. Um, so let me just... Let me just we, took hours, we took hours rehearsing that. We, had to take, we took Wednesday out, didn't we? And uh, we, we got it. So, so listen now. Okay, so in him, we have uh, become this in the inheritance of God by lot, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now listen, watch this. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He suddenly, for the first time, changed from we... To we, you. You see that? What's he doing there? Well, who are, who are these people? We who were the first to hope in Christ. 
might be to the praise of his glory. He's most delightful. I'm, I'm just helping you understand it, then I'm going to preach it, alright? And the preacher will be short, okay? So don't panic, alright? So, the we there is probably the Jewish people. What, one of these main aims through Ephesians is to show how God has brought together, this, in, in this one purpose, this old covenant people, this Israel, he's, he, the apple of his eye, He's brought together Israel and all the promises to Israel. He's brought together, and, all, and what he's done now through Christ is calling all the nations. And see, at this point, most of the most of the churches in this area they're Gentiles, and he's he's chosen these Gentiles and he's brought them together, and he's working out this one mighty purpose in bringing together Gentile and Jew. Which for us, we might say that's that's that sounds nice. That sounds good, but actually, then it was like Jew and Gentile. Jews wouldn't even go to a Gentile home. They would not even go into a Gentile home. One of their prayers was, I thank you Lord, you didn't make me a Gentile. Their nicknames of Gentiles were dogs. I mean, there's been this acrimony between Jew and Gentile for time immemorial. We even see, today, we see this, you know, the Jew-Arab thing. But Jews have known persecution, not just from Arabs, but from all kinds of different people over the years. It's actually, there's something deeply spiritual and there's something deeply, um, deep-rooted about this. So, now, he's... Let's go through the passage now. I'll try and preach it. Okay. So in him, we, universal, have become the inheritance of God. He has, he has chosen us to be his special treasured possession forever. If you like, we are, we are in a sense the goal of his purpose of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. On week one, I, brought, I lifted out this phrase to help you understand when the Bible talks about God being sovereign, it genuinely, honestly means that everything that goes on, he somehow pulls together by incredible might. He uses the same phrase at the end of this chapter when he talks about the might the Father exerted when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the same phrase through that same might, through that same ability, that same work in that exertion. He exerts all things. There's a power in God that is able to drag everything, every nasty little thing, everything that is, would never have been ordained in his perfect will, if you like. Every result of fallen people's selfish, horrible decision, everything you've done, every bit of your part every legacy you feel you limp along with that by his might he is able to pull all of that somehow into his will and, and, and sew it into this tapestry so that one day every single thing that has happened on this planet will turn out one way or another to serve the mighty, glorious, good purpose of God that's what the Bible teaches now, if you've just experienced something awful, there's a, there's a, there can be an emotional reaction to that, where you say, not that. I understand. I understand all of us have faced different degrees of pain in different ways, which you just make you think, and there's that but how moment. There is that. All I would say is this. There's only one, there's only kind of, um, there's only one other option, um, that, that if that's not the case, that can be true, and that's that he doesn't. And that is, that is far, that is terrifying, that, that is emotionally destroying, it's untrue. There's some of these things that go on and they are of such a dark nature that they just somehow, they do not, 
fit under his sovereign reach. And they spin off and they do whatever they do. That's not good. You really do not want that to be true. <laughs> but you've got, a whole different, you've got a whole different problem to face. It actually makes the issue of how, does, how can God do that actually makes that look manageable if you compare it with the other option. But somehow it's just out there. And it's like, a, it, you just got like a, a million and one boomerangs flying around <laughs> spiritual reality that are going to just come back, who knows when, and, and, and whack and destroy the purposes of God. The Bible never gives any room to that idea. So that is why, so, so, what, so what that means, if you are not a believer, if you're not in the family, if you've not known that experience of being in Christ, then what it means is that you are still under the sovereign purposes of God. You cannot come out from that. You are still under the sovereign purposes of God, but you're not in his family. And the Bible says he wants no one to perish. That he wants you in his family and that he loves you. The Bible says that. So it's not like you, you can't kind of, um, you can't have your nose out of joint. You can't think, well, that's, that's unfair. No, no, no. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, whosoever comes to me, I will not turn away. If you come to him, he will receive you and you will be in the family. But it's important that you know the difference at the moment that you, if you are not in his family, you've not been adopted into God's family through Christ, you are still under his sovereign purpose because everything is. Yes, including Nazi Germany. Yes, including everything that's gone on is under his sovereign purpose. But actually, you are not under his family protection. Because you're doing, not because, well, not because he's mean, but because you are doing your own thing. Whereas if you choose to, 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 to submit to his lordship and embrace him and his love for you, you come under what he's doing through his family. So if you're in his family, that is why the Bible says this, that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are according to his purpose. So if you're in the family, if you are in the family of God through Jesus Christ, it's not just that you are under the, the, you know, the kind of general sovereign protection, it's that everything that has happened, is happening and will happen in your life he will not, he won't just manage it in but he will work it for good and it's good that you yourself will benefit from in your heart and in your life and that's incredible the issue is will you take that truth and apply it by faith into your heart there is, there is that, you, you do have to get a hold of that and say Lord I'm going to actually trust you for this it changes everything it changes everything, to live under the to live under the sovereign care of your heavenly father I mean, it's just, that, that, that's life changing. It really is life changing. You can go to bed at night and put your head on the pillow and say, I might not understand everything, and I might be carrying real pain at the moment, but I actually believe God is working good in all of this, and I'm, and I'm on the lookout for his redemptive hand. I'm on the lookout. What's he doing? Even the confusing things, even the things you say, that's random. <laughs> that's random. What was that? Not random, somehow. Permitted. He'll work it for good. He's got that kind of might. He gathers it all up and makes it work for good for his people. That's the sovereignty of God. Then he says, so this is what God is doing, right? So he's, we've, all obtained, we've all become his heritage. Then he says this, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, the Jewish people, that can either mean that Jesus, when he was here in his ministry, he reached the Jews first in those first three years before he went to the cross, and then after the cross he rose from the dead, 
and he said to his Jewish disciples, now go to all nations. So it could be first a hope in Christ in the sense that he reached them first when he was doing his public ministry. Or it could mean the Old Testament where those Abraham and Moses and others, they were the first to hope in Christ. They didn't know exactly that it would be Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus said of Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day. He was looking forward to seeing my day. Abraham had seen something of the Christ. He, his hope was in the promised, the promised one. So it, could mean, it, so it could mean that, or it could mean that. Either way, it's referring to the Jewish people, most likely. So it's saying that those who were the first hope in Christ, the Jews, might be to the praise of his glory. Now, what, 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 what does that mean? Because it sounds so spiritual. We'd all go, yay, but what does it mean? Here's what it means. All these Gentiles are getting saved. So the big question is what? What happened to the Jews? I thought God had promised all these things to the Jews. What was going on there? What's happening? Is he unfaithful? Is he not able to keep his promise? Has he gone for a plan B? What does that say about his power? All these questions are raised. And Paul says, no, 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 not at all. There's always been an Israel within Israel. There's always been saved Israelites under the old. There are saved ones now. Paul's saying, me being one of them. And God gathering out of natural Israel, God gathering spiritual Israel, people that will love him out of the natural Jewish nation, is to the praise of his glory. Why? It shows he's faithful. It shows he's able. It shows he didn't blow it with Israel. But he has done all that he has promised over over those people. That's what it shows. So it's to the praise of his glory. God's done it. The Israel thing, we get what that was about now. But then he goes on, in him you also, right, anyone here Gentiles? Anyone here not a Jew? Okay, the vast majority of us. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel, this is really important, isn't it? when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. There it is. In all this mighty sovereign stuff God is doing, there is this moment I spoke about at the start where you believe in him. Him. Paul doesn't say, and believed in it. And believed in him. Because the gospel of your salvation is the message of who? Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. He's the gospel. So some ideas. Some ideas about this is cross. And, this, and you've got to be careful because you can get into this idea that somehow the cross. is something about the cross. It wasn't the wood. It wasn't the cross. It wasn't the beam. It was the man. The crucified man. That's the good news. The good news, the good news is this. Is that there was a man who didn't sin. There was a man who was so worthy that if he were to shed his blood on behalf of another, that his blood would count for the life of any other. And whosoever should come. Such, so, so worthy was his life. And he did shed it for us on the cross. So that we could be forgiven. And it, please, don't ever, ever get bored of being forgiven. <laughs> I, I mean... I, it, that, that has to be your comeback point, isn't it? You know, when you, everything else as a Christian is going wrong? Yeah, everything else is going wrong. You come back to what? I am forgiven for my sins and adopted into his family. Nothing, that's always there. That's, that's eternal truth. So, so you've got to believe, so I'm just, I guess I'm calling any in this room, you've not trusted in him. Ultimately, it's between you and him. No one can make you do it, but I'm appealing to you. I'm urging you, trust in him. He is, he is all he says he is. I've been following him 24 years, and he is all he says he is. He's not disappointing, and he gets more and more lovely every day. He does. And you become more and more aware of his faithfulness, his amazing grace, and your incredible unimpressiveness become increasingly, you, you become increasingly aware of 
So you become increasingly grateful. You know, most people, the closer you get to them, the more disappointing they become. You know, people look great from a distance, don't they? And you share a, you share a room with them or something, and it's like, oh. You know, just the closer you get, the more, oh, no. And your hopes of what they might be, oh, it's the opposite with Jesus. The closer you get, the more incredible he is. The more amazing he is. So you Gentiles, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is amazing because the Holy Spirit, Gentiles, you know, what? Yeah. In Christ, God has made a way for Jew and Gentile. The dogs, yeah. But look at them, they've got, look at, they've got no history with God. Without God, without hope in the world. Yeah. In Christ, they've been welcomed in. In Christ, they've been fully, fully welcomed in. And they've received the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now, what was a seal? A seal meant three things. When you were sealed in the past, if the, you, know, you had the king's seal on you, what were those three things? Um, number one, it meant that this was an authentic thing. If I'm bringing a message to you from someone, it's got their seal on it, it's authentic. Authenticate. It's really from them. So you have the Holy Spirit. It's God saying, you're really mine. I'm really yours. You're really in. Authentic. Number two, a mark of ownership. Not just that you're in and you belong and you really are. You're mine and I'm jealous for you. You're owned by God and jealously loved by him. Wow. Third thing is this. It protects, it protects that letter against tampering or harm. You're sealed. You're not tampered with that. Can't be tampered with. Wow. So the Bible says you've been born of God, the evil one can't touch you. Wow. Wow. We are indestructible until we are called home. And when we're called home, we die well. Or we fall asleep, as the New Testament says. This is what the sealing of the Spirit. When, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you know that the presence of God has come to indwell you, and you are not who you are anymore. You know I've been changed by Jesus forever. He is most important to me now. I know that I'm not yet all I will be. I know there's still work to be done, but I am not who I was. I've been sealed by the Spirit. You belong. You are His. And you cannot be tampered with. Praise God. So, here's the guarantee. Is the guarantee of the fact that you are God's heritage until God comes back to acquire his possession. So that word guarantee is it's down payment, isn't it? We don't do down payment so much anymore, it's more you buy on credit. But in the old days, I remember the old days, you know, you put £5 down, you put 10% down, and then you knew that thing wouldn't be sold. You go to the shop, you see your cassette player, you get excited. Sometimes a twin cassette. You'd press the eject button, if it opened slowly, it was cool. If it went doing, you thought, no, I'm not buying that. Right, so, this is, I've found it. And you'd say, but it costs 20 pounds. And I've only got five. And you'd say, there's my five pounds. And they'd write a bit of paper, and that, that thing would not be sold. It would be kept by it. And you'd go and you'd save. And you'd come back when you'd your 15. And it would be there, and it would be yours. Why? Because you had paid your five pounds. That's what's been taught here. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He will come back to acquire his possession. He's paid. Boom. You're not, being, you're not being sold to anyone else. 
has to be dragged off. You can't just suddenly find yourself lost or out of the kingdom or out of the family. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's coming back for you. And he's looking forward to it. Isn't that amazing? This is the grace of God. This is all that Paul is teaching here. All of these things come to us by virtue of being in Christ. I would just like us to take a moment. Don't do this kind of thing often, but I think it would be appropriate to just, just to take a moment, really, and um, just give opportunity. There will, probably will be people in the room that you just know, I don't know this. <laughs> I don't know this. But I want to know this. I want to know this. And it's always hard to know what to do, because I could say, well, put your hand up, but the Bible doesn't say you get saved by putting your hand up. It never says that anywhere. But we do want to help you if you want to make steps towards Jesus. And if you think, yeah, I'm convinced. You know, if you think, I'm convinced, I want to know this. To be honest, God's most likely already, already done it. <laughs> you can't get this without God working in your heart. But if you think, I would love someone to just pray with me. As we sing these next songs, we break bread. I would love someone to just talk to me about knowing Jesus. Pray with me, give me advice. I would just want to, I want to find out more about knowing Jesus if that's you we, what we don't want to do is, is for you to leave here um, feeling that you know you just wanted to talk to someone and pray with someone we, 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 we feel that we hadn't served you as well as we could do so if you just think uh, you know I'd love I'd love someone to really help me in this and, and um, talk to me about this just let us know just give us a little wave to just see where you are and, you, know, you can just do a little one it's fine but I just, just want to make sure that we, we help you and that we serve you well if you're, if you're here I know, I know most people are looking around, but there's numbers of people I don't know, so I just don't know where you're at. So, are there any here? You just would love that. Oh, okay, I can't see any. All right, well, look, if you just felt, ah, oh, it just was too much to do that, but I want to talk more, just come and find me or, or chat to whoever you came with. Um, you know, this is the most important decision you'll ever make. The most important decision you will ever make. And, and because of that, no one's going to push you into it. In fact, Jesus is the one who said, look, if you wanna, you've got to think this thing through. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be like, you be like the guy who started building a building and run out of materials halfway through because he didn't, didn't count up the cost beforehand. Everyone stops and laughs. No, this is, this is for, for keeps with Jesus. It's, it's the most biggest decision you'll ever make. So, just to assure you, no one's going to be pushing you into anything. We're just going to be opening the Bible and showing you what he says and answering any questions that you've got. So, if that's you, love to chat, love to help you.